This is the Rogan and Rodney podcast. Heard weekdays at noon on AM 570 LA Sports. Stream the show on the iHeartRadio app by searching AM 570 LA Sports or podcast the show on the iHeartRadio app by searching Rogan and Rodney. AM 570 KLAC, 987 KYSR, HD2. Los Angeles. Available anywhere using the iHeartRadio app. AM 570. An L.A. sports icon. Fred Rogan is here tonight. Decades on your television covering Los Angeles sports. Fred Rogan, huge in Los Angeles. The Dean. I'm the Dean. Fred Rogan. Weekdays before Petros and Money. A USC All-American. USC's Rodney Pete. An NFL quarterback. Absolutely perfectly delivered by Rodney Rodney Pete. It's available on the iHeartRadio app or on am570lasports.com. This is Rogan and Rodney. And we continue Fred Rogan and Rodney Pete on AM570 LA Sports. Uh, Rodney, we talked about the play-in tournament with Adam Osland in the first hour. Later this hour, let's open the phones. We haven't done it in a while. And get people's thoughts on the play-in tournament. Yeah, let's do it. You like it? Is it necessary? Uh, I'll, I'll give you a quick story. So, Major League Baseball is negotiating a new set of rights fees with the networks. You know, what they did last year is they expanded the playoffs, right? Those expanded playoffs netted $100 million from $100 million. And $100 million divided by everybody, right? The players get their cut. The owners get their cut. $100 million for the expanded playoffs. And the players share in that. Now, if in the new CBA, the players say, we don't want the expanded playoffs. And that's a possibility, right? That's a negotiating chip. If they say, we don't want that, you understand that the money they're going to make Divided up however they divide it is probably $50 million less because they split it with the owners. That's why you have these games. So in the NBA, these play-in games, that's just more money that the players and the owners get. But look at it from the player's perspective. goes into their pot. If you don't like the play-in tournament, that's fine. But then there won't be as much money. And in the baseball negotiations that have just been completed, the rights fees dropped a little bit. They dropped a little bit. Why? Because not as many people are watching. The world is changing. You can't make the same money selling advertising. So that's why you have these play-in games. It's all about the money, pure and simple. And it's no, important it. to keep that in mind. Yeah, I get it. And, and that's why you see a lot of, you know, especially the top-end players don't really care about the play-in tournament. Because if you're making $35 million a year, you know, extra half a million dollars because you're playing an extra uh, tournament game, um, you could take it or leave it. But those guys making less, you know, those minimum salary guys, yeah, it means a lot to them. Yeah, it's real money. So later this hour, we'll open the phones. We'll hear what you have to say about it. Now let's bring on the godfather, the man that sat in the big chair, and our friend Ned Coletti. Ned, good afternoon to you. Hey, great afternoon, gentlemen. Good to be with you. All right, Ned, I'm going to give you a theory, okay? Uh-oh. Now, Rodney, you can't say anything. I can't? No, you can't. You, the only thing you can do is if I leave something out of the story, you can throw it in. But you can't influence Ned one way or the other. Fair? Okay, I, I but I get to interject if you're leaving something out of the story. Yeah, if I'm leaving something out, you can throw it in, and then when it's over, you you give your opinion. Okay. 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 Right. 
right. So, Ned, there was a moment in the game last night that I really enjoyed, and I thought it exemplified an awful lot. Justin Turner, late in the game, makes a great defensive play, throw to first. Albert Poolholes, who had been smiling all night in the shot you saw in the dugout, stretches, catches the ball, and as he does, he just pumped his fist a couple of times, not only to indicate he was out, but I, I suggested he did that because he really felt part of something and maybe a new start, and he was really excited, and you could see the excitement in that one moment, not as much with his RBI, uh, that one moment to me said, I am in it, I am here, and I am happy. And I thought that said a lot. Now, did, did I leave anything out, Rodney? Um, you didn't quite, you didn't say it with the, the, quite the excitement that you said it to start the show. You were like, this was, this was the moment. This was absolutely the moment. And it was, it tells me everything. That's kind of the way you sold it. Okay, so that's how I sold it. That's my theory. Ned, what do you think of my theory? I think you're exactly right. And I wouldn't <laughs> normally say that to you. Heard me say different things, but I think you're right on. Look, this guy's have a Hall of Fame career. He doesn't rank in the top five in these categories in Angels history or Cardinals history or National League history, American League history. No, he ranks in the top five in baseball history in a handful of categories. Winning is important to players. Having a chance to play for the Dodgers is always a, a, a goal, a unique experience to put that jersey on, but especially on a team that's got a chance to win. In all due respect to Anaheim, are they gonna, do they have a chance to win the World Series with that pitching staff this year? Let's face it, probably not, right? Going out on a limb, probably not. But you, go, you come here, you're changing the standings immediately, you change in, in the approach of, of every day, and every day you got a chance to win a game. There's nothing longer for a tremendous player or any player in any sport, I'm going to venture to say, than a team that cannot win a championship. Those seasons get pretty long, especially a baseball season where you're playing almost every day for six months. And so – so, yeah, so Freddie started the show with that, Ned, and he was very emphatic, like this was the moment Albert Pujols came of age or whatever he said. I forgot what he said. And I said, given the circumstances of him leaving Anaheim and the way in which it happened, um, him being out not knowing where he was going to play for a couple of weeks, any moment that he had back on the field, whether it's, now, long-term, yeah, I agree that, that being in a Dodger uniform is great. But any moment, his first game back, being in uniform, playing, he would have made the same fist pump if it was if he was playing in Pittsburgh or someone else. Now, down the road, as he gets season goes on and big moments get bigger, then, yeah, the, the, the whole idea of being a Dodger, and I think that is internally uh, something that he's excited about, but the fist pump on his first game back, as this was the signature moment of out, I just I'm like no, because if I, I if I'm out and I'm finally got a home and I'm playing somewhere and I make a play, then I'm gonna fist pump. If I'm in Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, anywhere, that was my answer. well. <laughs> I, I think I, 
I can't believe I'm taking the side I'm taking. I but know, I know. I think there I think there was a little extra for I think there was a little bit extra excitement for him being being there that day, yesterday. And I don't you know, I, I think there was. I think he's happy to play, no doubt. But I think he's really happy to play where he's playing. Um okay, Ned. So 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 that being said, happy to be where he is. What do you make of of him and the whole way the Angels handled him leaving uh, Anaheim and them saying one thing, like he has to be an everyday player, and him coming out emphatically saying, I never said that. In fact, I, both I and David Basset had intel that he, in fact, never said that. What do you make of that whole situation? Well, I know enough to know I don't know. I don't know exactly what transpired. I think only the people in those meetings, in those rooms, know exactly uh, what transpires. You know, it seems like he left with a little bit of edge uh, to him, and um, you know, I can see I can see where meetings like that can go haywire sometimes. But again, I'd, it's all speculation. I don't having been in meetings and having people speculated on what went on in meetings I was in. You know, I, I don't I don't really want to speculate to it. Uh, I think I think it's uh, you know with a different new general manager there, somebody that didn't sign him. I think you have a different type of relationship. Um, I think uh, as you have a team that's in transition there, I think you have uh, a different situation than the one he joined nine ten years ago. But again, to to get into you know what went on, what was said, this and that, you know, I, I'll leave that to other people. I, I don't want to get in the middle of that. I don't, you know. All right, but that being said, Ned. Can you, because obviously you sat in many meetings and you had many conversations, some were difficult. Can you remember a time where you were in a meeting and when the meeting was over, okay, everybody knew, but then it was misinterpreted or it it didn't play out as you had decided in the meeting when communication just kind of fell apart or everybody heard what they wanted to hear? Oh yeah, I mean that that happens. That's kind of a, a regular thing, though, especially the last part. Everybody hears what they want to hear, you know. And, and sometimes, you know, whether we know it or not, sometimes and I'm not saying that's the case here with Albert because I, I don't know. But sometimes people desire change on either side of the of the argument, on either side of the debate. And sometimes they'll hear what they want to hear to make sure that they're going to get the change that they want. And and that happens, I think, all the time in, in relationships and, and finance and business and in sport. And so, yeah, people, you know, and sometimes people will also look for an excuse to make a move or do something because they need to move on from wherever they're at. And I think, you know, that there's a likelihood that that, that occurred in this situation. Again, I don't know, but. I think that, that that happens. And I think sometimes it's it's easier for a player to move on for a second chance someplace when they're not contractually, necessarily contractually connected to the next place they go. Dodgers didn't sign 10 years, $240 million. You know, the Dodgers are picking up you know, a prorated portion of the minimum. Different dynamic for everybody. And I think that you see a lot of players that, in any sport, flourish with the new chance, with the new opportunity, where the if there is a burden to, to being paid 
uh, as well as some athletes are paid, if there's a burden to that because you start to get older or because you haven't performed up to the, the expectation level that people have put on you, then going some other place sometimes can, can take off a lot of heat, a lot of pressure. Guys can go back to being at the, the player that they, that they were when they signed the deal. Not that that's going to happen here. He's, he's 10 years older. But, again, you have a, a, a fresh start, a fresh start on a historic team in a great city in, a, in an opportunity to go to the Fall Classic again. There's a lot of pluses to, to moving on to that spot. Yeah, no, no doubt. And sometimes as an older player, you get, you get rejuvenated, like you've got a second lease on life to, to, to kind of not, you know, resurrect your career because he's at the tail end of it, but it gives you that, those, those extra juices as you're going out to play. So I, I, I get that 100%. Um, Ned, so <clears throat> when, you, when you look at this Dodger team now, and they've had an assortment of different injuries, and a lot of people got different opinions on why, and you know them having a a long postseason and winning the world championship and the shortened off season for them. Uh, but across baseball, there are injuries, and for the Dodgers, it's not just one thing you can put your finger on. It's not like all soft tissue injuries. There's been freak injuries. There's been you know Corey Seager gets hit in the hand and he breaks a metacarpal and below his pinky is all different types of things other than Dustin May and Edwin Rios who's who's out for the season you know with these injuries as the approach for the Dodgers for the next month or so is it we've got to win the games we should win and weather the storm until we get the guys back or or, or is it a different approach I think I think it's part of that but I also think in this season and I may have mentioned this to you guys earlier in, in the month you know, scouts are telling me that by August 1st, you're not going to recognize a lot of teams. The injury factor is going to continue to compound. So I think, you know, you, you do that. You know, you got great players coming back. You got three out of your everyday lineup, uh, two outfielders and your shortstop. You know, you got <laughs> guy was MVP of the LCS in the World Series and MVP of the National League all sitting on the side. So, you know, you do wait for that. You know that, the, you know, the Calvary's coming, so to speak. But I think you also have to prepare for what you don't know this year because it's a different deal. It's a different year. You're coming off of 56. You're going to 162. You're talking about a team that's played eight extra months, basically, in the last eight years. Uh, so it's a, it is something. So I'm, I'm sure they think about that. I'm sure they look at that. I, I think Albert is one of the, the pickups, the kid from Tampa Bay they picked up also a couple days ago. It's shoring up that system because at some point in time, you know, you're going to be tested. You will be tested. If every year was 162 games, you're going to be tested. If you're going from 56 to 162, you know you're going to be tested. And if you played eight straight Octobers, you also know you're going to be tested yet again. So it's it's half and half for me. It's let's prepare. Let's figure out who we can add to continue to add support, continue to stockpile weapons and talent. And at the same time, we know we got three players coming back that are excellent for this club and going to hit all the way through that lineup right in the midst of it, probably between the second spot and the sixth spot. you got three guys you're missing. Getting those backs like three major trade acquisitions. Uh, Ned, I-, I said this earlier. I think I'd rather see Kenley hit than pitch. I loved when he, he got up there to hit last night. He didn't hit the ball. Man, if he hit that ball, Ned, he'd hit it over the right field pavilion. He's got quite the swing. Well, 
you sound like uh, you sound like Kenley talking to me back in 2009 <laughs> when I you know I kind of intimated baseball have to need 50 teams in the big leagues for you to catch in the big leagues with you the way you hit. I say that with a smile on my face, Kenley, if you're listening. You know, um, you know, we talked about it for a long time. I mean, he can swing the bat. I mean, he played professionally as a as a catcher for a long time, so he knows what he's doing up there. But I like him better as a pitcher. I think his, his accountant probably likes him better as a pitcher than a catcher too, because <laughs> I'm not sure that uh, I'm not sure he would have been having the same career as a catcher as a relief pitcher. In fact, I can pretty much guarantee he wouldn't have had the same career as a catcher as he's had as a relief pitcher. Uh, Ned Gavin Lux. Uh, are we seeing the Gavin Lux that everybody was excited about a couple years ago? Uh, is this something that we can expect for him to uh, to continue after he had a you know a year of struggling and got sent down and now he's back? It seems as though he's making the most of this opportunity right now. I think he's a really good player with a chance to be a very very good player. I think this is the beginning. I think you're seeing a comfort level. I think the reaction from the three run home run last week. Uh, said a lot, a lot of burden lifted off by up the team and also off of him. Uh, you got to be patient. You got to be patient with young players. You know, we've talked about this too on the show. I think, you know, send them down. What do you do? How long do you be patient? How long, you know, you've got to be patient with it. You evaluate a baseball player every day because they're playing pretty much every day. You got to be careful with it because you can't overdo it. You have to make your decisions and in, in, in shorter shorter uh, segments you can't you're not going to make a major decision based on 10 at bats 15 at bats 20 at bats you can't do it without making a mistake so i think that it's paying a dividend i think he's going to get better and better and i think that the dodgers have done a great job as they have with many players max muncie a lot of different guys that started off slow or had a little bit of a of a bump early on and they stayed with them and they turn out to be great players i think he's another one in that group think he's going to be terrific. And now you got the versatility to play him at shortstop. How many other guys can go play shortstop? It's not a position you can fool. You can't fool shortstop. You can't fool catcher. You can't fool certain pitching spots. Only so many people are going to be able to do that. And now here he is going from second base to shortstop and doing it pretty well. So you know what? A lot of good things to like about Gavin Lux. You know, you talk about patience, and uh, yes, it's a virtue, and for some, it's an acquired skill. But as the general manager of a club, you had to have patience. I remember uh, when Don Mattingly was managing the Dodgers and uh, had gone through that horrific, horrific slump, and almost everybody was calling for you to make a change, and you sat there with them. And then they turned it around and put together a great second-half run. What's it like when you sit in that chair to have patience, and when do you figure my patience has run out? Well, you, you have to be ultra-patient. That team, we knew it was a good team. We had, uh, we had not added Yasiel Puig yet to the mix. We had Hanley Ramirez, who got hurt the last day of the WBC. I think we were maybe 12 games under, nine games out, fifth place. And you're right, it was rugged. But if you believe in your team and you've done a thorough thought process throughout, you have to be patient with it. And you have to take the daily hits and you have to just – you have to kind of stay in your group and, and, and filter out all the noise and really concentrate on what, you, what you're supposed to be doing with your career, your job, and your responsibilities on a daily basis. 
toughest thing to do because especially in baseball because it's every day it's every day you're getting some comments somebody's speaking up speaking out whatever you know and and you can't you can't listen to it but your process has to lead you to that point you you can't have any doubts about what you the decisions that you have made that's why you have to be patient with your decision making ahead of time to get to when you do have another decision to make that you've made the right decisions as best you can dealing with human beings that you've made the right decisions leading up to it. For me, decision-making has two distinct pieces to it. One is the decision you make. The other is the timing of when you make that decision. You can never forget the timing. Timing is such a key component to every decision we make in any walk of life. So you just, you got to be patient with it and you got to know that, Hey, I expect this team to be better. We've got Hanley Ramirez coming back. We've got other guys, you know, we, we had a pivotal moment that season, I think, where we actually had a, a fight on the field with Arizona. With Zach Granke pitching, he got hit a couple times. And, you know, everybody was out there. There were 50 guys on, you know, from both teams, plus managers and coaches, getting after it. And from that moment on, we started to change and started to galvanize as a team. You don't, don't know what it's going to be that happens. But in, in that case, you know, that was a pivotal spot. Hanley coming back, pivotal. Adding Asio Puig, pivotal. A lot of different things happen, but if you don't make the right decisions all the way up, yeah, then you're going to have to maybe be impatient or maybe make a decision quicker than you normally would. But that's why you have to be, you have to follow the course from the beginning. Not you can't go from M to Z. You got to go A to Z, and everything you do has got to have a purpose and a reason to it. And you make your decisions when it's time to make the decision, not before it, not after it when that precise time shows up and your experience tells you when that time is. All right, you're a human being. Obviously, we've all made mistakes. Uh, can you give a specific example of when maybe you pulled the plug too soon, you made the decision too quickly, and as you look back, you wish you hadn't done it? Um, yeah, probably two, two signings. One, Jason Schmidt. One, Andrew Jones. Um, I was in a huge... Um, I, felt, I felt a huge hurry to really turn the franchise and continue to turn it. If you go back in time in 2005, which I wasn't here in 2005, the team was 71 and 91. And I think it started off 13 and two. So it was 11, and my numbers may be off the touch. Let's say there were 11 games over 500, and then they finished 20 under. There were 30-some games over under 500 for the last five and a half months of the season. And I had watched them play the team I was with 18, 19 times. I knew what it was, tried to turn it on a dime, and was able to do it the first year. We went from 71 wins, team I inherited, to 88. The next year, I went to the playoffs and started to get some young players coming in. And then I wanted to add to the rotation, and I signed Jason Schmidt, who ended up being hurt. We got most of the money back through insurance and stuff like that. But still, it was, it was a move that I needed to be more patient with. Okay, I, needed to, I, I just needed to be more patient with it. But again, I, I, I thought we needed one more starting pitcher. As it turned out, you know, we, we did. But that turned out to be uh, a decision. We didn't know he was hurt when we signed him. He ended up getting hurt. We had seen him pitch the last day of the season. He looked fine then. But anyway, it is what it is. So that was an act of that. And then when I signed Andrew, uh, Matt Kemp, and eighth year, were, were starting to become accomplished, but they were still, still a little bit younger players. And I felt that we really needed somebody who could play center field and play it masterfully. 
and really create some competition. And I uh, met with Andrew in November, and he was—he looked fine. He looked excited to play. Signed him to a two-year deal. Got the spring training. Uh, it looked like a like a little bit different player when it comes to conditioning. I don't want to get in an <laughs> argument with him. He looked like a different player. Okay, come out, hit about 190, 180 the first month of the season. Uh, T.J. Simers got him to rip the fans one day. It, it was basically over, you know. And uh, after one year, he was gone. But, uh, you know, those were really due to impatience. And I really had to learn it. I had to be patient with it. But, you know, when you, when you sit in the chair, you know, it is a lonely job. There's no doubt it's one of the loneliest jobs in the city of L.A., no matter what chair it is, no matter what team it is. There's only so many people you can communicate with that understand what the day-to-day is. And by virtue of me coming where I came from, I couldn't call one of the guys who I was closest with for advice, Brian Sabian. He was my greatest rival. He went from one of my best friends to my greatest rival. I couldn't call him. Who was I going to call? I'd spent 11 years with the guy. So, you know, we it, it's a lonely spot to be. Don't get me wrong. Loved it. Loved it. Honored to do it. But I had to develop patience along the way, and most of us develop our, our, our patience or whatever through – failure or through trial and error, more error than trial. And, uh, and that's what happened in my case. And uh, I'm not ashamed to admit it. And I made mistakes, but I made mistakes trying to turn the franchise around quicker and, and having it exceed expectations, let alone meet expectations. Sometimes well, you, you make a mistake. Well, listen, Ned, you know, if you ever need to call anybody, you can call us. Now I know that. I didn't know that back in 06. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because oh, no. you're going to call the guy with the padded room, Ned. <laughs> call me. My advice is always good, Ned. <laughs> I don't panic at all. I don't make split-second decisions. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no, not, never, never. Thank uh, God they haven't lost two games in a row. <laughs> yeah. In a couple of weeks, Ned, please. All right. Oh, goodness, yeah. Thanks for coming on. It's always a pleasure, and we really appreciate yeah, it. All right, guys. Love talking to you. Now, when we cleared up the play in turning, got that right now. So here's the question. What do you think if you're a fan? Are you in favor of this? More games can generate more excitement. Maybe if your team isn't in the play in, you think it's a good idea. But if your team is in the play in, like the Lakers, how do you feel? 866-987-2570. Bringing you LA's best sports talk weekdays, noon to three. Bogan and Rodney. Oh, yeah. It's Tuesday, and it's Rodney Pete, Fred Rogan. Coming at you, Freddy. Coming at you. Do we get the play-in tournament straight? Do we know it now? Yeah, we got that straight. We sure? Yeah. Is it a good idea is another question. To be honest with you, I love it. I hate it. I know you do. You have to hate it. You're a player. It's a complete waste of time for you. It is. It is. What are we playing the regular season for? Absolutely. No, I knew you would hate it. I like it. It's more excitement. Uh, there's more urgency to it. And anytime there's urgency in sports, I like it. And it also, by the way, is the time when there was that sense of urgency when people become more interested in it. But, you know, we've got a couple of calls here. Do you love the play-in tournament or do you hate it? Lakers will open it up tomorrow night. Uh, and the Eastern Conference begins tonight. Zach in Long Beach, appreciate you holding. You don't like this, do you? 
You know, I'm not a big fan, and I know this is all about money and whatnot, but the players probably feel that they worked so hard to make the playoffs, and now all of a sudden this year it's the 7-8 and eight seed. It's, oh, man, a one one game might send us home like it's the NCAA tournament. I, I understand why the players are mad, and I don't think it's right. But, uh, again, and it's a year after the pandemic. That probably raises some question marks. Uh, you know, in the end, it could give them tons of momentum, you know, if they win that game and move on to the next round. But then again, it could also, you know, really gas them out and because they're given all their effort because they might get sent home. So that's probably where the players stand with it. And I, I just don't think – I think they should have kept it the same, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I agree 100% with you. Thanks for calling. Um, you know, Fred, it, it is. It's like the NCAA tournament because if now that we've cleared that up, it doesn't – it's not like the Lakers – have two shots at Golden State. They only have one shot. And right. and then they play a different team who's going to get up to play the Lakers. Oh, we got a chance to knock them out. It's a one-and-done situation on both cases. So I, I, I just I don't like it. I actually, if they were going to do it, preferred the other way, that if you're the lower seed like the Lakers, then Golden State would have to beat you twice. All right, Manny and Gardena, you do like it, right? Hey, I love it because I think it's going to ramp up the Lakers. You know what I mean? They're going to take care of Golden State. But, Freddie, I'm, I got a new nickname for you uh, since you, you, you know, all the happenings of earlier. I'm going to start calling you the Pujols Whisperer. The now Pujols that we Whisperer. know that you are inside the mind of the Hall of Famer, you know, hey, man, I'm impressed. <laughs> Not only are you the dean of L.A. sports, but you are now. The Pujols Whisperer. Thank you, Manny. I appreciate that. Appreciate it. I'm the Pujols Whisperer. Oh, man. No, what? <laughs> I don't think that's a bad idea. Oh, Manny then dubbed you the Pujols Whisperer. That's right. Man. Oh, the ground man. speaks. I listen to the ground. made up. <laughs> hey, did you, uh, some Laker fans are upset today, Rodney. Uh, you know, I don't know why. They haven't even played one game in the play-in tournament. They haven't even started, but they're upset. And I mean, he, yeah, but because, well. Well, no, I, I, you, this I, is about something else. Yeah, okay, okay, go ahead. They, they're upset because uh, the uh, coaches, the peers of the coaches, the coaches' peers have selected the coach of the year. Coaches' peers. Yeah, the coaches' peers. So the coaches have selected the coach of the year. And right. uh, Laker fans think, well, that ought to be Frank Vogel. They do? Oh, yeah. Some some on social media are upset. Why? It wasn't Frank Vogel. He should be the coach of the year. Why would Frank Vogel be coach of the year? That's exactly right. Well, some are saying, look how good they were defensively. This is the best. They were top in the league in defense, and they had so much uh, disjointedness in their lineup. LeBron was in and out. AD was mostly out, and he was able to hold things together while those guys were able were missing more than half the season and maintained a great defensive standing and kept themselves afloat with their two-star players out. That is the argument that some are making that Frank Vogel should have gotten more consideration for coach of the year. It went to Monty Williams of Phoenix. Yes. You of know what? He, he deserved it. I would say, I would agree, by the way. Yeah, he deserved it. He really did a great job yeah, there. Close. Turned it around. Monty I mean, Williams. Monty Williams and Frank Vogel, no disrespect to Frank Vogel, but it, it shouldn't have even been close between Frank Vogel and Monty Williams. I mean, if you want to consider somebody else, like maybe Doc. Yeah, Back east, Doc, I, mean, I can get Doc, yeah. Finished to, at the top of the East, as many games as Joel Embiid has missed this year. Frank Vogel wasn't even top of mind for me, to be honest with you. Not no. that he's a bad coach at all. I like Frank. No. He's excellent. But, but, you know, the same argument that, you well, he did, 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 
the Lakers almost fell out of the playoffs without LeBron and AD, which people could say, well, see, it wasn't really coaching. It's AD and LeBron. That's what uh, made some win. And forget all the other stuff. They they basically, you know, fell in the standings because the rest of the guys, he couldn't motivate the rest of the guys. That could be an argument. How about Quinn Snyder in Utah? Best record, yeah. That had a pretty good year. Wouldn't he be considered above Frank Vogel? I would say in the defense of, based on what you said last, Ronnie, I mean, we all can recognize the Lakers don't have that much talent independent of LeBron James and Anthony Davis. If that if they didn't have those two guys and they were just a regular run-of-the-mill NBA team, you would think they're probably not going to contend for, the, for a postseason berth most years for a full season. So I believe the thought is Frank Vogel maximized everything he could out of those guys. But again, to your point, they tumbled down the standings when those guys didn't play. They were, I want to say when those two guys weren't in, they were about three games under 500 or something. But many of us thought that was a win. I'll give Frank credit for doing that. But again, not enough credits where I'd say he's the coach of the year. Right. And I think on the Quinn Snyder side, we've kind of seen – I think he has the unfortunate situation. We've seen Utah kind of be close, and now it's about, okay, can Quinn Snyder get him over the top? Can exactly. Quinn Snyder get him to the finals? Okay, we've seen the regular season. They've been a pretty good team for a couple of years now. We, we like him as a coach, but this doesn't really mean anything, so his name doesn't really stand out. I mean, Tom Thibodeau had a great year in New York for That's New another York. One. That's another one that could have been – considered as coach of the year yeah Yeah, instead of frank vogel usually it's the team that has little or no expectations and comes out of nowhere and the coach wins the wins the award the lakers had all the expectations in the world and i know it's injuries you can't control that they finished seventh that's the exact opposite of what you would usually get for a coach of the year who wins yeah don't we say the same thing about mvp fred like you're that you can't win it if you're seated number seventh or eighth you can't win mvp yeah, how could you be coach of the year if you finish seventh? Uh, unless, you know, the the year before, you lost 82 games, right? And you you right. had not won a game. And all of a sudden, somehow you get into the playoffs the following year. Then maybe you would go, okay, yeah, that was a hell of a job. Yeah, But there's no way. I, the, the right guy won it. And congratulations to Monty Williams, who, when you bring up Frank Vogel, we point out again, Monty Williams was the Lakers' choice. After Ty Lu, it was Monty Williams, and he chose to take the Phoenix job. Yeah, yeah. He said no, thank you to the Lakers, and chose to take the Phoenix job. But you know, an honor well deserved, and we congratulate him. All right, who wants to play a little Who Dis? Oh yeah, let's do it. Eight six six nine eight seven two five seventy. First caller in. You call. Kevin will pick up the phone. You go right on the air. You're playing Rodney and Ronnie. Let's... And we'll also have the code word coming up next segment as well. We've given you one. We have two to go for this show. That my best friend. She a real bad Got her own money. She don't need no Gonna dance for her. She had yeah, 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 yeah. That's right, Rodney Pete. Fred Rogan. Let's go, Freddie. Let's go. Who wants to play? Got to do it. Well, we had somebody. And apparently uh, they had to go in and go to work. Oh, no. So we, we're, we're open right now. 866-987-2570. Quickly, somebody else want to jump on and play Who Dis with Rodney and Ronnie? Come on. Come on. If not, we're going to just have you go by yourself. Uh, by the way, it's code word time. You know the deal. 
There are six code words. When Tim Cates plays the sounder, it's time for Dodger Baseball. In the pregame show, you call in. You give them all six code words. And somebody, somebody, whoever has all six, is going to see the Dodgers and Diamondbacks tomorrow night at Dodger Stadium. We've got six field-level seats, VIP parking. It's a great time, and we want somebody to win. We've given you one of the code words, and here is the second code word for today. Shag. Shag. So we've given you one. Now we've given you a second. What was the first one? I'll give it to you again. Southpaw. Oh, there it is. I'm not supposed to do that. Oh. Who says? But I'm, Well, because you got to listen every hour. But since we kind of make up our own rules and we care about people. Yeah. The code words have been Southpaw yeah. and shag. shag. One more code word coming up next hour. Shag. Rogan and Rodney Roulette. Who is this guy? This is who I am. Who is this guy? Who this? Alan in Orange County, are you there? Yeah. Okay. Uh, who this is brought to you by our buddy Jacob and Ronnie. Okay. So, Alan, here's the deal. When I give you a clue, if you know it, you yell it out. You do not have to wait. There's no penalty for guessing early or getting it wrong. Okay. All right, cool. Ronnie, you ready? I'm ready, Freddie. Let's go. Let's go. I was the seventh overall pick in the 2009 NBA draft. Seventh pick. Yes. Oh, nine. Yes. Who is this guy? I am a two-time NBA MVP. Ooh. Steph Curry. Ronnie, Steph Curry is correct. There you go, Ronnie. Good start. Alan, did you know that one? Nope. All right. Well, maybe you'll know this one. Well, I love Steph it up. Curry. Okay. Well, hard not to. So much fun to watch. Yeah. Let's go again. I rooted for his dad. Oh, there. Wow. What? He rooted for his dad. Yeah. That's, Why is that wow? That tells me Alan's been around a while. What? I remember <laughs> Dale Curry. I'm not even that old friend. Yeah. Dale Curry? Yeah. Well, like Dale Curry played in played the 50s, in the, Fred. Played in the 90s, Fred. Yeah. Well, I'm aware of that, but I'm just saying he's not one of our 20-year-old listeners. Alan and Fred, wow. it sounds like Fred's calling well, you old, Alan. That's what it sounds like to me. No, I'm not calling you old, Alan. I'm giving you credit. Yeah. So you're saying somebody Somebody say I root for Shaq. They're sitting there old? No. But he said he remembers you playing. Yeah, he said Dale Curry. No, he just said you. He said he's younger than I me. I said I'm, I'm, I'm younger Are than you Rodney. Are you listening, Fred? Oh, you're younger than Rodney. Are you listening? Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, but that's not hard to do, be younger than Rodney. You're not. That's true. Yeah, that's not call Rodney old. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Maybe I'm the only one. Fred's attacking everybody today, Fred. Yeah, he is. What's wrong, Fred's Fred? on fire. Jeez. Good right, morning. No more coffee Let's for Fred. Let's just go again. Let's play the next question. I made 18 All-Star teams in my Hall of Fame basketball career. Kobe Bryant. Alan got it. <laughs> there you go, Alan. Good job. See? Alan got it. I was lucky. Is he old now because he knew Kobe Bryant? No, he's cool because he knew Kobe Bryant. All right, here's your next one. I was the 18th overall pick in the 2012 MLB Draft. 18th pick. Ooh. Yes. 2012. 18th pick. 2012. Yeah. Uh, 
Classic. Corey Seager. Rodney. Corey Seager's correct. Wow. Well done. Yes. 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 All right. Yes. Halfway home and we're tied. Your next one. It's be tough. No, it won't. Okay. Maybe it won't. Well, for you, it might not be. Fair? I've made four Pro Bowls in my soon-to-be Hall of Fame career. Drew Brees. No, senor! Who is this guy? I am a four-time Super Bowl champ and was the comeback player of the year in 2014. Oh, yeah. Rob Gronkowski. Rodney. Gronk. There you go. Oh. <laughs> that was a good yeah, pull. Yeah. Never lost. Good pull. Pretty never. All right. Here's your next one. <laughs> I made seven Pro Bowls in my Hall of Fame football career. Eric Dickerson. How about new? Seven. 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 Who is this guy? I was a three-time Offensive Player of the Year and won one MVP award. Dubry. No Larry Fitzgerald. Red Favre. And it is no good. How about new? Who is this uh, guy? I won. Yes. A Super Bowl title. Yes. With the St. Louis Rams in 1999. Kurt Warner. No good. Kurt Warner. Ricky Pro, Marshall Fall. 99 and Rodney got it. It is Marshall Fall. Yeah, oh. yeah, 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 yeah. I won. Again. Uh, you have. Again. You have won. Never lost. One more question. Uh, and right now, Alan and Ronnie are tied. So, Alan, <laughs> you can finish second today, okay? All right. Here we go. I made 14 All-Star teams in my Hall of Fame baseball career. Derek Jeter. No, senor! Bourbon. How about new? Hank Aaron. It is no good. Alex Rodriguez. No good. Who is this guy? I won five World Series titles and two World Series MVP awards. Mariano, Mariano Rivera. Rivera. No good. Ooh. No. Five. Andy Who Pettit. is this guy? How about new? I won. Check that. I led the AL in home runs four times and was the AL MVP in 1973. Oh, Reggie, Reggie Jackson. Jackson. Boom, Rodney. Reggie Jackson. No, I said Reggie so, Jackson. Alan came in. Alan, you said it way too too slowly and too casually. He's like, oh, Reggie Jackson. Well, oh. Rod, Rodney's like, Reggie Jackson. You got to come in a little quicker, Alan. Do you want to check the tape? I'll check the tape, but I, I feel Alan, like Alan got check in the a tape. little bit slow. Hey, check the tape. You, you heard Alan. <laughs> check the tape. Right. Jeez. Don't want to shortchange Alan because I did hear you say Reggie Jackson. I thought Rodney got in there first. But Alan, we're going to let you hear it and then we'll make a decision. How's that sound? That's right up my alley. All right. Well, we want to be up your alley. Oh, whoa, whoa. Pause, Fred. Pause. I don't even know what that meant. I, I'm sorry, Rodney. I don't even know what I said. Oh, goodness, Fred. All right. So Kevin's pulling it up. He gives a thumbs up and let's see who got it. Oh, Reggie Jackson. Oh, Reggie Jackson. Oh, Reggie Jackson. Okay. Daddy. 
Al, yeah, yes, Daddy. So, Alan, I think that as you heard it back, Daddy jumped in a little sooner than you did. Oh, man. I got a story, though. Oh. Can I tell it? Yeah, go ahead. Well, <laughs> Rodney and I have something in common. Oh, no. Cut him off. Cut him off. Okay. No. I emulated Rodney during his senior year because I had to play scout team quarterback at Washington when we played USC. Oh, wow. Wow. But it wasn't emulation then. <laughs> wow. Okay, so you were on the Washington Huskies in 1988 yes, playing sir. the scout team, uh, getting ready to, to play USC. How cool is that, Alan? Uh, it was, well, it was, it's cool now, but back then it was a lot of work. <laughs> it made you run around a little bit, huh, Alan? Yes, sir. And then we got, to, cool. got to watch you whoop our butts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Alan. I love that memory. <laughs> yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't like, I don't like that memory so much, uh, but it's something we have in common. I love it. I love it, Alan. Thanks for sharing, man. And, Alan, thanks for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I like listening. I wish I could listen every day. <laughs>